Latino Stories, Historias Latinas, es un podcast que nace del proyecto de narrativas orales de Latinos en Ohio, Oral Narratives of Latinos en Ohio, con entrevistas en español, inglés, and Spanglish. Latino Stories. I'm Elena Fowles. Hoy me acompaña Salena Gipsot. Salena Gipsot is the owner and wine director of Casa Gipsot, a boutique wine shop and tasting room specializing in Mexican wine located in the heart of San Antonio's west side. Gipsot created and, and developed the Boardroom Project in 2018. The Boardroom Project is an international leadership organization that develops future board leaders one girl, woman at a time. Bienvenida a este episodio, Selena. Gracias. Selena, tell me a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up? Bueno, Elena, um, first, thank you for having me, of course. Um, that question just off the top isn't nor the normal by, by any means. I grew up nomadic, so I grew up all throughout the country, uh, born Born here in San Antonio, third generation West Sider. Uh -huh. um, and we'll get into that, I'm quite sure, but is why we started our Mexican wine shop in the West Side. Uh, but truly anywhere from San Antonio to Miami, Fort Lauderdale, Kansas, lived in Phoenix for about four years, Los Angeles, uh, Portland, all the way up to Seattle. So uh, grew up nomadic. I think I was in 11 states before I was 11 years old. Wow. Um, we were houseless, homeless. So I grew up all throughout this country. Country. Um, growing up extremely resourceful as a young girl without a mother and having to raise myself. Um, but ultimately, you know, working here, living here in the East Side, my first job was Kitty Park, making a dollar forty an hour. So walking from my house then um, all the way to Kitty Park, and really just kind of started my work journey, if you'll if you'll say that. Um, but I had worked even prior to that as a kid with my father being a blue collar worker. So he fundamentally taught us our work ethic. Um, but, you know, as generations have it, where did he get that work ethic? Era de mi abuela. Mm -hmm. So, um, mm -hmm. you know, I, as proud as I am now to have this shop and everything that we do as in addition to the Casa Gibson Boardroom Project. Mm -hmm. um, but all of that is a reflection of her hard work and all that she sacrificed um, for them and ultimately for the generations to come. So in all these places that you've been, uh, like you said, growing up nomadic, um, how are you able to sort of stay grounded in your heritage and your Spanish and, you know, speaking the language? Um, so talk to us a little bit. About yeah, that. great question. Once again, nothing traditional by any means. Um, my father, who lived in the West Side, grew up, you know, uh, blocks away from Linear High School. He was told not to speak Spanish, even though he's both fluent, uh, fluent both in English and Spanish. So he you know, though he was both fluent and educated both in English and Spanish, he chose not to speak to us in Spanish. So um, I didn't grow up speaking Spanish or even realizing that I was Mexicana, mm -hmm. right? Like Chicana, one thing, pero Mexicana, like we had, my father is, um, once again, non-traditional. Uh, we grew up uh, evangelical Christian. And so my father didn't really tie culturally to the Mexican side. We grew up very Caucasian Anglo, um, which is interesting as well. But it wasn't until I 
married my husband, mi esposo Arruato Gipsot, who is from Coahuila. Um, I'm thankful that he shared, you know, our our language, our tongue with me, the idioma de mi abuela. So mm-hmm. um, it gives me very much pride and hope to others as they go through their language journey, right? Self-identifying or just identifying, you know, their roots how important it is to connect with our our past generations. And so I'm thankful to Eduardo, my husband, who taught me this beautiful language that is that of my abuela and my father, too. You know, it just wasn't it wasn't supported or appreciated um, because of him growing up and going to Lanier and was told, you know, you don't want to have an accent. You don't want to speak. Um, you don't want to be seen as. And so um, I think all of that got suppressed until I married un hombre de ran right like the un pueblito so i'll get Bien into orgulloso. The, yeah oh mexico is <laughs> muy orgulloso mexicano uh-huh. la verdad y eso es porque tengo la t- la tienda de vino vinos de mexico de mexico okay mm-hmm. bien so i'm very interested in learning more about the mexican wines from you mm-hmm. but i'm equally interested in hearing about your work with uh, boardroom project okay. uh, talk to us about why you decided to build this organization so I, um, in my nomadic journey, I knew that San Antonio wasn't going to be my forever place, right? When I came back, um, uh, the state took us away um, and took us away from our father. And we moved back to San Antonio when I was, I was seventh grade and landed in the east side of San Antonio, which at that time was the highest in violence and so forth. Um, so... It was through all of that experience that Casa Gibson was just something that I saw, right? So I moved away to Portland. I ended up um, being the only woman of color in an all-white male organization. Um, in a former life, I used to buy and sell financial firms. Mm-hmm. So once again, across the country, having exposure. Um, and I found myself the only woman in a boardroom and I found myself the only woman of color in the boardroom. And so it wasn't until, you know, I, I developed a, a three prong approach for my succession firm where a broker dealer and a financial firm could come in and lend money to, uh, the people who wanted to buy other financial firms. Mm-hmm. So here I was the one that negotiated, you know, this deal, but my CEO didn't even want me to drive up to Houston. And I said, there was no way I was going to make my presence felt. I was going to be known. I was the one that constructed this deal, even though he was going to get all the benefits. Right. And so, (laughs) yeah. And, and normally I'm used to having women see me and be like, oh, you're the only woman. And so that was, you know, happened as well on the golf course of the woodlands and on ExxonMobil's golf course. Right. And so we're having breakfast and I'm once again, the only woman at an all male white male table. And it was when I was walking away it, you know, the the cooks and everyone was like, I se mira con orgullo en los ojos, right? They were just proud of me to see me in that space on the other side. But it was when the white women turned and gave me the the heads, the nod head of like, mm-hmm. hey, I we see you, right? And so when I moved back to San Antonio, I knew that the only way of real change or real decisions are made in the boardroom. And at no point in through your college career all the way up to your PhD is there a course of how to serve on boards, right? Right. However, all the decisions are made in the boardroom, whether it's local, state, 
federal, et cetera, private, um, private nonprofit. And so, um, you know, I took our middle school, high school, we even have a college partnership with Northeast Lakeview College. Um, and I ultimately teach them everything that they're not going to learn in school, right? All kind of that hard knock life, right? And all the things that you should know, but nobody ever talks about. And so, you know, the development of the boardroom project um, was me coming back into my community in the east, west and south side because I'm a product of all of San Antonio um, and really just giving that exposure and experience to young girls who will never be given or can never, uh, you know, call their tia, their tío, and, and like, do you serve on this board? Can you give me a job interview? Can you, you know, what's going on here? No, no, that, that's not in our realm. Um, so I'm going to kind of leave this in, which kind of speaks to why I too, you know, find being the founder of a nonprofit that serves in that capacity, but also being the owner and founder of the only Mexican wine shop in the country, it plays into what I truly believe is that, you know, um, we should not set boundaries upon people or especially our children and our youth, our next generation of leaders, because, you know, ultimately you never know what they're going to become or what they're capable of. It's us as a society, um, as adults that put these boundaries or parameters on our generational leaders. And so um, I think it's, it's me being true to who I am and holding in space where nobody has ever invited me or I've never been in a space that looks like me, but creating space for others um, is really the impetus of a of boardroom project as well as Casa Gipsa. Right. And, um, and really offering those resources that you and I didn't have. Right. And, and I, I, I sympathize with that. I learned to be in boardrooms um, as I went, right. Like people, mm -hmm. like I was invited to serve in an advisory role. And then as a, you know, as a board member and I'm learning on the go. Right. Um, and hopefully I've served in organizations that I, that I'm passionate about and that, that are growing. So I get to grow with them, but, uh, certainly, uh, those discussions about the importance of serving on board, especially women, especially women of color are not happening. And so, It's, it's a great um, opportunity for an organization like yours to 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 make, you know, this resources available for for our girls, our young girls. Yeah, because what we aren't told are the um, benefits. Right. We're so service oriented as women and we're going to give of our time of energy. But let us be strategic, not for the benefit of our personal benefits of, you know, social climbing or climbing up that ladder. But rather, how do we get people that are represent representatives of their community to sit at the table versus outsiders making those decisions for them? Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, so you primarily work with women led nonprofit organizations? Yes. Uh, middle school, high school, college. And then, um, you know, I've done work with House of Neighborly Services in the West Side. So we've done their strategic planning. We've done various contract work with other organizations. Um, but yes, our goal is our focus is truly on young girls and women of color. Uh, what are some of the challenges that you that they face? 
Um, well, in holding space like that, it'll ultimately just the comfort level, right? And so we have a boardroom, a board table in the middle of our room for even our smallest of the girls so that they feel comfortable and they normalize it, right? That even if their feet are dangling from the chair, they normalize what it means to sit at the, at the grown folks table, right? As we call it. And so whether it's young girls or professional women, I think that women of any age and any education level are just, you know, hearing about this, right? When I go back to these are worlds, whether it's wine or the boardroom Mm -hmm. that don't typically belong to women of color. And so I think that them finding mentors, them connecting, understanding that there is a blueprint um, to the boardroom and, you know, that you can go from nonprofit board service to corporate or being a consultant and advisor and getting paid. I mean, women, white women walk away and they're, you know, $300,000 deep in salary plus stocks and plus benefits, right? And so do, are we aware that we too, as if there aren't companies in Mexico that would love an American, Mexican-American representative at the table, right? Mm -hmm. Um, So it's really, really leaning into those opportunities. And so I think it all becomes, comes down to comfort and normalizing the space for women. And are you seeing uh, women like really jump on this and, and really, you know, are, are the opportunities opening up for women in San Antonio? They definitely are. Um, you know, we we typically start, depending if it's someone new, you know, we have a pro program. And so they'll start off with maybe a budget of 300, 500,000, right? Like we truly try to make sure that it's a win-win for our BRP pro members and the organizations that they're serving. But all the way to the corporate level, I mean, you have organizations throughout the country doing some amazing work. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that are really take, take, keeping track of, um, how many women, how many Latinas, how many, you know, African-Americans, how many Asians, et cetera, that are serving on the board. So there's, it's now that people are focusing on it. And so they're realizing, and yes, they're trying to diverse their board of directors based off of skill sets and, and gender and so forth. But, um, I think. You know, for me, I'm not working from the top. I'm working from the bottom up. So my approach is very grassroots community level. So my idea is that we educate and expose enough girls and young women, which we have, um, where I'm getting it. You know, I had a young woman serve on the board of Texas A&M, right? And she hadn't even finished. She was from Memorial High School from the West Side. So, you know, plugging in these young girls that wouldn't have otherwise had that exposure opportunity, um, we are. We're creating waves, but uh, as you know, Elena, we have a long ways to go. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I hear, so I've been here um, a little over a year in San Antonio and I hear, I keep hearing and I have uh, participated in the culinary, you know, uh, opportunities out there, events and restaurants uh, in San Antonio, but you bring us wine. And I hear too, that there are uh, more women, right. And, uh, getting into the business of, of wine, wine production, wine, wine selling, uh, tell us about this industry. Yes. So the Mexican wine industry is growing like no other. Um, we've probably been in it for about two years. Um, our wine shop 
you know, just celebrating a, a, a year in September. Um, you know, Mexico, and, and this is the really hard part, and I'm quite sure we'll get into this, but uh, Mexico is producing some world-renowned wines, right? And, you know, for those that are wine enthusiasts, they're just curious. They want to learn more. I mean, already we consume more, you know, Modelo across the country than even Bud Light now. And right. of course, everybody's on their tequila, mezcal, you know, kick and phase and so forth. Well, Mexican wine has been around. I mean, you know, I'm certainly not the inventor by any means. Casa Madero, 1597, the oldest vineyard in all of the Americas from Brazil down to or Alaska down to Brazil. So the history is there. Coahuila, which is south of us, where my husband is from, is the sixth best wine region in the world. In the middle of the desert, they're producing wines like a Cabernet Sauvignon that won gold in the world, right? And so coming and living in Portland, Oregon, and drinking Pinot Noirs all the time in such great weather, um, you know, here we are even producing, they're producing Pinots in, or- in, in Coahuila, right? And so it's very, just very impressive to see and know, right, we already know how hardworking Mexicanos are in our work ethic. So you combine that with the love of work, the love of what they're producing, that it's generational families and and that this history, you know, they take pride in their work and what they present. So Mexican wine speaks for itself. I think the opportunity that I have um, as a lover of history and and really a product of San Antonio and all of Texas is to say that, you know, we have to connect it with our roots and our culture. With that, people will start to really opening up their palate and their mind to Mexican wine because, you know, you just, the average person cannot associate Mexico and wine, those two words, right? And so, you know, it's through our wine tastings, our wine classes, our wine and learns, um, you know, even us posting up at the King Williams Fair, right? And certain events that are just educating folks. And so, you know, wines are the Mexican wine market. We just came out in the SA Current. Um, talk about women in wine and even my partnership with Northeast, um, excuse me, with Palo Alto College. They have a viticulture and oligo program at, at Palo Alto. And so we've partnered with them not only to get more gente into the wine industry, but to get more women in the wine industry. Right. So generationally speaking, people don't tend to want to work in the dirt or the soil because of the work that our you know ancestors had to do. Right. And so. But the opportunity, the fact that it's a $6 billion industry in Texas, you know, you get the best of both worlds of working outside and inside and then, you know, really benefiting from just enjoying the the work of your the hard work of, of everything you're putting together as a team. So yeah, the Mexican wine industry, it's going to explode where we just happen to be at the front end of it. We also hosted the very first Festival de Vinos Mexicanos in the country here in San Antonio, which was at Mitchell Lake right up the street um, from the university here. So we just look for the continued growth. I mentioned to you off air that we have an event, you know, in a couple of weeks with the Mexican consulate here in San Antonio. Um, but it's not only for it is not only for the Mexican palate, right? right? Mexican wine. I have African Americans in my wine shop. I, you know, we get such a diverse group of people, and not only diverse in ethnicity, but diverse in class. Mm-hmm. And you know, I have people from, and this is you know, is what I love the most. I have gente from the Alazans, from the Casianos. They're just, hey, cómo estás? How are you in my barrio? Like you know, and then I right. introduce wine to them. Something. 
that they would have never been able to have such a opening space and say, hey, come and try this for the very first time. So I think it's it's a, a combination, accumulation of it all. Right. So tell me how your husband plays into this part of you <laughs> opening up this wine shop and, and sharing the history and really promoting uh, the wines of Mexico. Of course. So Eduardo Gipsot is from a small pueblito outside of San Buenaventura, se llama Escovedo. He, it's a town of like 300, maybe 400 on its heyday. Um, we just had this conversation uh, the night before that, you know, I need Lalo to tell people that, hey, like, Los Viñedos estaba aquí por mucho años. Like, he as a kid would go, would they would go on field trips mm-hmm. to Cuatro Senegas, and there would be the Palacio, and they would go to the vineyard, not, of course, to, to drink or to taste, but it was more of the history that came along with it, with um, Presidente Carranza, right, that's from Cuatro Senegas. Um, so Arruado has been around it, you know, growing up. Now, is it, was it, is it part of the Mexican culture? No, right? Like me- the only ones that could afford to purchase and consume Mexican wine have been the elites, right? And wasn't it wasn't until recently you had that younger millennial generation that would go to Paras de la Fuente for Instagram photos, right? They would come from Monterrey or uh, Saltillo or Torreon. And so it's been the younger generation to really create a movement out of it in that sense. Um but Eduardo is the backbone. I mean, he is um, nothing like me. He is the introvert in the relationship. He will sit in the corner. You wouldn't even know that he's the owner. He sits in the corner, you know, and and his very stoic face, Mexicano, like he just know you won't get a reaction out of him. And then by the time you do, it's a little too late. But he, you know, he truly, in terms of like sh- sharing, exposing, educating me, um, educating others, you know, when people see me as like, pues tú eres chicana, que están haciendo vende vinos mexicanos, right? And here comes my husband, like, no, like Selena, I mean, she she is, but she's also the one that's helping to create a movement out of Mexican wines. They've been here. It's just a matter of giving attention and the respect mm-hmm. that the work ethic and the the people deserve um, and really highlighting and showcasing the Mexican wine. So, you know, Arrodo and I, because of, because my husband is Mexicano and from Coahuila, you know, we've been able to travel all of Mexico. We've been, you know, to Viñedos and Querétaro, San Luis Potosí, we, you know, Mexico City, all of Coahuila, I know personally as well. Um, so we are truly a, a team in this and taking, you know, history on Mexican on Mexico side and me being a historian on San Antonio side. And so a lot of what we do in our wine tastings is really storytelling, mm-hmm. right? Over just really good wine and educating, exposing people to what they just don't know. You just don't know what you don't know. So mm -hmm. we just get to do it over really good wine. Yes. Um, Salena, um, along with selling wine, you also hold community events. And last year I attended an event about Afro-Mexicans in San Antonio, which I enjoyed. And I did meet your husband there Mm -hmm. and I can attest to, to him being, you know, sort of behind the scenes, but there, right. And very, um, welcoming as Mm -hmm. well. Um, tell me why this type of community events are important to you. No, I was so proud of that wine and learn right off 
the right out of the gate, right? It was um, it's education and exposure, right? It's it's education that we yearn for. Um, I think you know, as Eduardo, as a Mexicano living here, he's you know he sees the disconnect. He at first he couldn't understand why people didn't speak Spanish right here until he you know saw firsthand my story and and the community around it. And so here we have you know I'm a product of the East Side as well. Uh, I'm a grew up in a predominantly all black community neighborhood and still live there. Um, you know, we chose, we choose very much. And let me uh, not forget that both my niece and nephew are Afro-Mexicanos, right? So they're holding space in two very different communities, but that have so much history in fight and with one another, um, you know, in supporting just breaking barriers and the need for unity, right, between both of our cultures and communities. So, you know, holding space like that, educating people, giving people, um, you know, exposure to spaces and people that they had never known even existed is something that excites me dearly. And I think that people are going to continue to want more information, right? Because it wasn't the universities, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the private sector or the public sector. It was gente, it was community both my husband being and very ed- well educated and informed and 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 nacimiento de negros right in Coahuila and me being from San Antonio like I know people that you know whose families come from and so I think it it's just bringing in that level of attention and education um and making it free right mm-hmm. making it accessible so that anybody that was curious and wanted to learn can learn um and we'll continue to do those wine and learns because that's exactly it like can we have conversations um, that are educating our community um, so that we don't repeat history, right? right? And that we learn from each other and and that whatever bias that someone may have or uh, misunderstanding, that they realize, hey, Mexico isn't what you just see on TV, right? Exactly. It's it's how f- how progressive Mexico is in so many ways, right? You know, I'll, I'll end it with this, Elena, talking about our next wine and learn, but I look forward to that wine and learn when I'm going to showcase the first female president of of Mexico, June 2nd, right? And so we're going to have a huge event because I'm going to make it open to the entire community so that every single little girl in the barrio can come out and witness history, right? Mexico will have potentially the first female president, um, you know, out outpacing the U.S. So yeah, it's, it's, it's stuff like that, that we ourselves, you know, because we do have the space and the, the skills and the resources to make that education and make it available to everyone. Mm-hmm. So that excites and, me. Right. And I want to say that that space is a very welcoming space. I, I really enjoy being there and being in community with and learning, right. Mm-hmm. Um, as a newcomer to San Antonio, but also just everyone that was there was really engaged and like genuinely interested and and um, ready to learn right mm-hmm. um, there. Selena, what else are you working on uh, right now? What event are you excited about um, that's coming up soon? What's today? Tuesday? <laughs> today is Tuesday. <laughs> we no actually, <laughs> we have our vino and cigar event this evening. Okay. So once again, just, you know, bringing opportunities and events and spaces, curating, right? Um, in addition to tonight's event, our December event will be opera in Espanol mm-hmm. and vino. So once again, at the parish in the West Side, I think that's December 20th. So just curating some amazing experiences for all to enjoy, um, but really to 
open those gates, those gates to Mexican wine and how amazing it is. Um, and really being able to get, to tell those stories of the, the vineyard owners and the hard work that they're doing and how progressively it is, it's moving into the States. And so I'm excited to be part of this whole path and Camino and just in, you know, spearheading it, if you will. Um, but in addition to the opera event, we're working on a mobile wine bar. So it's something that people can rent and bring to them, to their private events. Uh, we're certainly looking next year, I'll spend a lot of a lot more time in Mexico just visiting the various vineyards. And so we're kind of out laying that out already for me. And then I'm going to take my show on the road and go north. And so I might end up back in Portland, which I love, especially during the summertime, um, and really start just educating people on Mexican wine. So, you know, vi visiting and touring various cities and states and having holding that space and representing Mexican wine and letting people know that it's out there and it's um, it's amazing. And, you know, I encourage everyone to just expand their palate to the south. Great, great. Mm -hmm. uh, Selena. Muchas gracias por esta conversación. Gracias a usted. Uh -huh.